that. Thank you, Mike, very much. Would you all take your Bibles, please, and turn to the book of Hosea once again. Hosea chapter 14. Once again, we read this chapter last week. I'm going to read it again. Hosea chapter 14. Our focus last time was on the first three verses. We'll be looking at the remainder of the chapter today, as well as a few other portions from the preceding section as well that uh, support uh, the thought today of God's incredible mercy as the final step on the road to restoration. If you're able, please, uh, would you join me uh, by standing for the reading of God's holy word? Hosea chapter 14, beginning at verse 1. Return, O Israel, to Yahweh your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Take with you words and return to Yahweh. Say to him, take away all iniquity, accept what is good, and we will pay with bulls the vows of our lips. Assyria shall not save us. We will not ride on horses, and we will say no more our God to the work of our hands. In you the orphan finds mercy. And then notice the pronoun change. God is speaking here. I will heal their apostasy. I will love them freely, for my anger has turned from them. I will be like the dew to Israel. He shall blossom like the lily. He shall take root like the trees of Lebanon. His shoots shall spread out. His beauty shall be like the olive and his fragrance like Lebanon. They shall return and dwell beneath my shadow. They shall flourish like the grain. They shall blossom like the vine. Their fame shall be like the wine of Lebanon. O Ephraim, what have I to do with idols? It is I who answer and look after you. I am like an evergreen cypress. From me comes your fruit. Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of Yahweh are right, and the upright walk in them. But transgressors stumble in them. God adds his blessing to the reading and hearing of his word. Please uh, do be seated. So for the last couple of weeks, as we've been talking about this road to restoration, as seen in this latter uh, large section of the book of Hosea, the first step that we took a hard look at was God's faithful judgment that came upon uh, Israel and that will come upon all of those of his children who walk in rebellion against him. He, he begins on that first step to restoration with... Um, uh, a hard correction. Now, Mike was talking about his computer uh, woes uh, with that file. Um, in this case, probably smacking the computer as much as you might want to smack it, Mike, is probably not going to convince the computer to come around. <laughs> it, didn't. it didn't. Okay. Yeah, so that didn't work. But uh, that's because it's not flesh and blood, and that's, uh, it's a machine. But for us who are flesh and blood... God's creatures, he designed things uh, so that we would walk in relationship against him. And when we violate that relationship, he uh, has built into the system uh, curses and judgment to get our attention and to get us on a course correction. And we notice that the second step, having uh, received judgment, 
God then called uh, his people and calls us to repentance. And we took a, a good look at that repentance last week, particularly in the first three verses of this chapter, the elements that were there, confession and petition and praise and abandoning idols and abandoning wicked alliances and recognizing our condition and our status before the Lord because of his mercy, which brings us to this uh, latter portion of 14 that we read, which uh, we will uh, take a look at as we, uh, as we go through here. Um, I'm also going to look at a number of other passages, as I said a moment ago, from this section, particularly in chapters 11, 12, and 13. Just a, a, a few things that come right alongside this thought of mercy. Mentioned last time that, you know, as, as, as grievous as judgment and affliction are, nobody, nobody likes punishment. Nobody likes to have their course corrected. Nobody likes affliction. Nobody likes difficulties and loss and, and sorrow. And yet out of those sorrows, um, the weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. The, there is an end to those sorrows be, as, as a faithful God walks alongside us to call his children back to himself. So having, having judged us, having, having uh, uh, punished uh, his, his people for their violation of that covenant relationship and drawn us to repentance and granted us uh, repentant hearts, there are promises that he gives, and we, I just read some of them here, and these promises are beautiful. They're full of the boundless love of the Creator for his children. And as I mentioned last week, uh, in, as I concluded, the uh, foundation of, of all of our relationship, our election, our calling, our justification, our sanctification, our ultimate glorification, all grounded in the steadfast, unchanging, powerful love of God. Because God delights in the fellowship of his people. And when we look at these, these closing verses of the book of Hosea, I trust that if in the past uh, several weeks as we have been going through this book and being challenged about our relationship with him. If you've had occasion for sorrow and the need for repentance, uh, I trust that you will find a balm to your soul from today's passage uh, because it is truly beautiful to see what God has promised to those whom he loves as, he, as they return to him. So first of all, uh, we've read chapter 14, and holding those thoughts in mind, turn back a few pages to chapter 11. In chapter 11, verses 8 through 11, we read this. And this is after the Lord has talked about the judgments that were uh, going to happen upon Israel, because Israel, uh, he, he, he recounts how uh, he had raised Israel as a child, using that metaphor, that uh, uh, Israel had abandoned uh, that relationship, had been disloyal, and yet, in spite of the judgments and punishments of the sword being consuming them and devouring them, he says in verse 8, how can I give you up? 
it's not ultimately hopeless. It's, those judgments are not to uh, utterly wipe out his, his children. They were to refine them through the fires of, of uh, punishment to bring them back into a right relationship with him. So he asks, how can I give you up? And that's a rhetorical question. It means basically what he's saying is, I can't. I'm not going to. How can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I make you like Admon? How can I treat you like Zeboim? Places that are, you know, were judged and are no more. My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. I will not execute my burning anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim, for I am God and not a man, the Holy One in your midst. I will not come in wrath. They shall go after Yahweh. He will roar like a lion, and when he roars, his children shall come trembling from the west. They shall come trembling like birds from Egypt, like doves from the land of Assyria, and I will return them to their homes, declares the Lord. And in the very next verse, Ephraim surrounded me with lies. But in spite of the wickedness of the northern kingdom, God was saying, I'm not utterly going to cut you off. It's an astonishing thing to say. This is relentless and fervent love that is determined to love no matter what injury has been done to oneself. You know, um, these, these, uh, ver- these words in chapter 10, uh, sorry, chapter 11 and verse 10, it says that we will, they will come with trembling. Will come with trembling. Uh, there's a reason why um, we come with trembling before God. As the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 10, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. This is not a light thing. God is not mocked by our wickedness and by our rebellion and by our indifference. Judgment will occur. So it is a fearful thing to fall into his hands. But by the same token, we also uh, have passages such as uh, Psalm 107, where we read of those that do business on uh, in the sh- in, on ships in the great waters, and they, they see the wonders of God in the deep, and out in the deep, out in the middle of the ocean, they are tossed about by the storms and cast about and brought to the end of themselves to where all they can do, in spite of all their, their, uh, their skill that they think they have, all the experience that they think they have, they are as nothing before God, and he raises them up and casts them down in the troughs of the sea, until they cry out to him for mercy. And then it's this beautiful, beautiful uh, statement there in Psalm 107, uh, verse 30. Then uh, he brought them into their desired haven. After all of the getting their attention and bringing them to the end of themselves to where they call upon the God. That's really the same pattern we're seeing here. Judgment, repentance, and then he has mercy. Um, he is a, he, it is a fearful thing to come before him. This world is way, way too flippant about God. There's a, a book by um, Edward Welch, um, Edward T. Welch, called When People Are Big and God is Small. If you haven't read that book, I strongly recommend you do. 
because it reminds us of who we are in the presence of an infinite, almighty God. It is something that we are much too prone to set aside because we are so full of ourselves and our agendas and so on. And we forget of who this is that we are dealing with. I love that line that uh, uh, in C.S. Lewis's line, which in the wardrobe, if, you've, if you're a Chronicles of Narnia fan, uh, you'll recognize uh, this statement. When uh, uh, the three children ask about Aslan, and they want to know if Aslan is safe, and maybe some of you remember what the beaver says to the children about him. He says, is he safe? Of course he isn't safe. He's the king, I tell you, but he's good. You know, we need to have a little fear and trembling as we return to our Lord as well when we repent of our, of our sin and ourselves um, and our selfishness. Uh, because our God loves us. He's fervent. He will not let us go. Those whom he loves, he chastens. He scourges every son whom he receives. Um, not that we uh, find that pleasant, but it is necessary to refine us as he prepares us uh, it brings us more and more in conformity to the image of Jesus Christ through the whole process of sanctification. So there is this, this promise of his love that is here in, in chapter 14, where, do you see that in verse 4? Um, I will love them freely. I will love them freely. And what a blessed promise that is as he heals our turning away. And our apostasy. Now, also in this passage, uh, in chapter 14 here, um, as well as uh, in chapter 12 and verse 9, we read uh, there, I am Yahweh your God from the land of Egypt. I will again make you dwell in tents as in the day of the appointed feast. This is a promise of restoring to the blessings of the covenant in as they dwell in safety with the Lord in their inheritance. Chapter 14, verses 4 through 8, as I've already referred to, verse 4 there. Verse 5, he says, I'll be like the dew to Israel. He shall blossom. He's going to take root. So the, the Lord is going to nourish his people and his roots, his shoots shall spread out. Beauty shall be like the olive, fragrance like Lebanon. Um, thinking of the cedars of Lebanon and the fragrance of the cedars is the idea there. They're going to return. They're going to dwell in God's presence. They're going to flourish. They're going to blossom. Their fame shall be like the wine of Lebanon. Lebanon being very famous for their vineyards and so on. You look at these promises and they can just seem like so much hyperbole or just general thoughts of prosperity or whatever. But all of these are tied to the covenant promises that God said would happen to Moses, to the people, through Moses, when the law was given. If you, if you walk in obedience to the Lord, you will know blessing, you will know abundance, you will know peace. Uh, if you don't, you will not have his nourishment, you will not have his presence doesn't mean you won't have problems. It does mean, though, that he is with you in the midst of those, and you will flourish in spite of those things. This kind of ties back into 
the early chapters of Hosea, particularly chapter 1, where we read of the name of Hosea's firstborn. You may remember what that name is. It's the name of Israel's firstborn son, or Hosea's, sorry, firstborn son. There's a valley named this as well, Jezreel, or Jezreel, if you prefer, which means God sows. And so it's come full circle. The promise that was inherent in God's blessing upon Hosea's marriage at the beginning, before Gomer was unfaithful and left him, God, was that God would prosper them. And now at the end, that general idea is being repeated. That the, the, the anticipation that came about because of that name that was given to Hosea's son, would become a reality because of God's incredible mercy in spite of the sin of his people, in spite of the rebellion. Now, I've, I've met many through my ministry um, over, over the years that for one reason or another, because of their sinfulness, things that they've done, they have expressed the idea that they thought they had sinned basically beyond God's ability to forgive. Sinned beyond his mercy. Sinned beyond his grace. That uh, what they had done was too great to be forgiven. And to be able to look at passages like this and many others that demonstrate that God, uh, when he calls you, he doesn't let you go. When God redeems you, he does chasten you and brings you to himself, but he does forgive. He does restore. And the promise of these restored covenant blessings, every all along here, his, his love, they won't be sinning against him anymore. Um, he will nourish them. They will flourish. They will dwell in his presence. All of those things are Covenant blessings that were promised long before. And the Lord is saying, this is what's going to happen. God sows blessing. And the result is bounty. Spiritual abundance in this life and every good thing in the life to come. These are the Lord's blessings that are promised to those who humble themselves before him and turn away from their sins unto him. Now you might remember that uh, it was the it was a couple weeks ago when we were talking about various aspects of God's judgment uh, upon a, a fallen people is that there would be confusion among those who were speaking to them. That the you remember do you remember that from uh, chapter nine where uh, in verses seven through nine in there uh, we read the statement that the prophet is a fool and the spiritual man is insane. <laughs> that that those who were teaching them were teaching falsehood, were teaching things that were contrary to God, and though the people were enamored with what, with what these uh, prophets, so-called prophets, had to say, what they were saying was, was not true, was contrary to God and his nature, and were not speaking for him, and yet they were believing the lie, just lapping it up as if they couldn't get enough. And that's part of the judgment, that people would be satisfied with the lie, but what does God say here? 
Now, in chapter 12, look at this, for example. In verse 10, I spoke to the prophets. It was I who multiplied visions and through the prophets gave parables. The Lord is going to speak and make his will made known. Uh, Do you remember in the Gospels when Jesus is... uh, giving out the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. Lazarus, the, the one with the boils and leprosy and so on, ends up, uh, he's begging outside the rich man's gate, ends up dying and wakes up in Abraham's bosom and then later on the rich man would die and he's in torment when he opens his eyes. And they have this, this he has in this story that Jesus relates the rich man has a conversation with Abraham. And he, he's, he's like, oh Lord, you know, send, send Lazarus back uh, so that he can tell my brothers about this place so that they will not suffer this fate. And Jesus said, well, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And the rich man says, uh, oh no, Lord, but if someone would go back from the dead, that would really convince them. And Jesus said, if they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they listen to anyone else. God's truth is there in Moses and the prophets. Do you remember after the resurrection as Jesus is walking along the road to Emmaus and he comes across the two disciples that were disturbed. They, they didn't know what to make of all this. They'd heard all this. They knew Jesus had been crucified. They knew he'd been buried. And yet they heard these reports that he was alive, and it all seemed so confusing, and they were trying to sort it out. And they, you know, how does this work together with everything that we've we've grown up learning and knowing from Moses and the prophets? And Jesus teaches them along the road, doesn't doesn't let them see who he is, just uh, but as they go along, he says, beginning at Moses and the prophets, he teaches them in the, throughout the Old Testament writings, which is all the Bible they had at the moment you may recall, everything that pointed to him. And then went and ate with them, and as he broke bread, they went, it's you. And they recognized him, and then they, what did they say? Did not our hearts burn within us as he was teaching us these things? All of the things from Moses and the prophets pointing ahead to their Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. He had to open their eyes so they could see him. But it's all there. And God promised, as part of his mercy, he promises consistent revelation that he puts within our grasp and gives us the Holy Spirit to understand it. Now, pretty much, I, I expect by now, everybody in this room, with the exception of our youngest uh, folks that are here, have bought something that has to be assembled and that's made in China. You know where I'm going with this? You pull out the instructions and you begin to read those instructions. They are in English, sort of. (laughs) Some of them are worse than others. Some of them are pretty funny. Uh, Some of them, they've done a better job of translating the instructions so that they can be discernible. But... You know, if someone hands you instructions and they make no sense to you, I mean, they can give you, 
If somebody gave me this great thing, I am not even going to, you just picture whatever some great thing is for you that some assembly required. And, oh, isn't this great? I've done you this wonderful favor. Here's the instructions. And you don't understand them. You cannot figure out the understand. They make no sense. You can turn them upside down. They make just as much sense as they do right side up. Have they done you a favor? No, actually, it's judgment upon you. <laughs> You're just like, ah! <laughs> because you can't figure out how to assemble this dumb thing. No, but when you open up something and you have instructions that, oh, I can understand this. And not only that, all the parts that they say are on the parts list are actually in the box. Wow. Now that's a blessing. It's kind of the idea here. The Lord does talk about, uh, and elsewhere, that one of his judgments is to put lying spirits in the mouth of the prophets. To actually, as, as, a, as a judgment against those that want to say, oh yeah, we're following you, Lord. We're following what you say. We're listening to the prophets. Like, you know, you're walking far from me. You're in rebellion against me, and I'm not going to let you understand. It's his blessing that he helps us to understand and sends us his Holy Spirit so that we may understand his word, beginning at Moses and the prophets and all the way through. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, we're familiar with verses 16 and 17, I think most of us are speaking about the inspiration of the whole of, of the scriptures and their value. And I think uh, probably most of you uh, have those verses uh, memorized or at least are very familiar with them. But I want to, I want to turn your attention to earlier in that passage, beginning at verse 13. Second Timothy chapter three, beginning at 13, we read this, but evil men and imposters, will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Is that not an apt description of the times in which we live? But you, Paul says to Timothy, must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, not abandoning the teachings that have been given. And we know from Timothy's uh, life and biography that uh, his mother, Lois, taught him uh, well, and uh, Paul acknowledged that. And, and, of course, he'd been taught by Paul as well. So, continue in the things which you've learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. We'll come back to that phrase in a little bit. And then we come to all scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable uh, and so on for all of those things. When you abandon the scriptures for your own wisdom and your own feelings, you, are in, you will be in error. You cannot avoid it. You may feel absolutely dead on certain about your views, but if they're contrary to the word of God, all of it, not just the stuff we cherry pick out of it, you know, and we all do that, right? We have a tendency to do that. If it's not consistent with God's word, it's error. If you're in judgment against God, he'll let you stay in your error. 
As long as you're in rebellion, you can convince yourself to the cows come home about how right you are, but you're, you won't have it. You won't get there. But as you humble yourself before the Lord and cast yourself upon his mercy, he promises that in Christ Jesus, he's given you an infallible guide that will not lead you astray. His holy word inspired by the Holy Spirit. So this is God's mercy. God can leave us in darkness. He can leave us to fumble around and try to figure it out ourselves, as mankind has tried to do, apart from God, ever since the fall. But by his mercy, he grants us his word and his spirit to teach us all things concerning Christ. And what a blessing, what a huge blessing that mercy is. But this does all come about within the context of redemption. Because after all, again, these words, this whole book is addressed to people who are in covenant, at least visibly, with God in the nation of Israel. And by extension, you know, we talk about the visible church, those who are in the visible church. Just because you're in the visible church as a member doesn't mean you're saved. There's wheat and there's tares. The invisible church, um, it's all wheat. But only the Lord knows all that number. In the meantime, here in our, in our um, condition, our situation, we have to rely upon God's word and, rely, and, and understand that these promises that are given are not just for those that hope that they happen for them. Those that would really like this to happen. But it is based upon what Jesus Christ has done. Now, let's see how I get that from uh, this passage. Take a look at chapter 13. And verse 14, and you're going to see some familiar words here. Shall I ransom them from the power of Sheol, or from the power of the grave? Shall I redeem them from death? O death, where are your plagues? O Sheol, where is your sting? Compassion is hidden from my eyes. Think about these these words. You know, The Lord is not interested in our idols. He's the one who's looking after us. He's the one who is nourishing us. Um, And when he does that, death and the grave no longer have a hold over us. It's wonderful to... uh, Let me go back to my analogy of the... the, uh, uh, some assembly required object. Huh. You know, I, I've put together a lot of some assembly required things through my life. Um, very few of them survive that, that long. And it's not necessarily because I'm terrible at following the directions. Uh, I put them together for a while to hang in there. But uh, honestly, all those little cam lock things and the stuff you stick in there and the screws, it, you throw that stuff in particle board and sooner or later it's going to go the way of all flesh. 
This accomplishment of redemption in Christ is eternal. Because it's not do-it-yourself. This was a, the, the conquering of death and shale came about because God did it. Not us. In Hebrews chapter 2, we read this. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same. That through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 15, that great chapter that speaks of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ with all, uh, not just to its factual nature, but also to the ramifications of it uh, theologically and for uh, living out your life. He quotes Hosea chapter 13 and verse 14. O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? The Lord Jesus Christ has taken away that sting. He's taken away, snatched away victory out of the jaws of death and secured for his people the benefits of his redemption. That is his accomplishment. And in Romans chapter 8, Paul reminds us that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. This incredible, merciful love for his wayward people, nothing can separate us from that love. As he chastens us, as he calls us and enables us to return to him, he then pours out his mercy upon us. Much, I think I referred to this last week as well. Um, much like the, the story of the, the prodigal son whose father ran to meet him and rejoiced in his homecoming. In spite of all of his wickedness, he had to go through affliction. He had to repent. But when he came back to the father... There was mercy and love shown. So much so that the elder brother, who had always been the, you know, the good boy, resented it. You know, I never did any of this stuff. And that poor guy, it's like, buddy, you've been experiencing the love of your father every single day, and you don't even appreciate it. You don't even know what you had. You've taken it all for granted. Sometimes we need to have our world rocked to where we actually start to understand how great God's love really is. So we come now to the end of this, 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 this book, this marvelous book, and it is truly a blessing. You may have been walking in the way of unfaithful Israel in one way or the other, either obviously in, during the course of your life and sins you indulge in, uh, sins of the flesh, lust of the eyes, uh, pride of life. Uh, or maybe less obviously, by just having your heart and mind consumed with other things than God himself. Essentially having idols in your heart of, of whatever it might be, uh, prosperity, connection, power, position, happiness, Whatever. And put all of the pursuit of those things above and in front of the pursuit of God himself. Whatever, whatever the, the sin problem may be that each of us are experiencing, if you've been struggling to kind of 
find that way back into communion with God, hear the words of this, the closing words of this book in verse 9 of chapter 14. Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of Yahweh are right, and the upright will walk in them, but transgressors will stumble in them. If you've experienced his judgment, do not be discouraged. Our God truly is a saving God. Humble yourself before him, so that you might hear his words of love, and know his mercy, and a peace that passes all understanding through the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this wonderful book that we have had the privilege of studying these past weeks. Lord, we know that, like Isaiah said, um, we are sinners. We, we dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. In and of ourselves, we have no a right to come before you, but because of the Lord Jesus Christ who paid the incredible price. It was as much judgment and affliction as we bear at your hands compared to what he bore. These afflictions are as nothing. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might be the righteousness of God in him. We thank you for this redemption that was accomplished, for the, the basis of this relationship of ours that is grounded in, in Christ's loving us and bearing our penalty. Thank you for calling us to repentance. And thank you for continually, uh, as we sin, not giving up on us, but chastising us and drawing us back to yourself and then showing us your abundant mercy over and over again. Thank you for never giving up on us. Help us to tremble before you, but nonetheless to come with confidence that you will receive us because of your great love and because Christ has made the way. We look forward, Father, as we walk with you to your abundance, the outpouring of your goodness to us in our hearts and minds, Grant us your peace, no matter what the circumstances of life may bring. And ultimately, Father, bring us home to glory, to our desired haven. In Christ's name we pray.